Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. So thank you so much for coming this morning. Um, it's a very cold day, so you had no choice but to stay in. <laughs> All right, Darlene? Why did my why did my ancestors immigrate to this country? Why could they not have gone a little bit south, you know, to a warmer climate? But anyway, mm -hmm. they didn't have much choice, those Irish. You know that. So there you go. So I want to start out by letting my audience know who you are. Introduce yourself, please. Should I give my real name? <laughs> um, I am Darlene Moore, the owner of Drive Traffic Digital Marketing, also in Ottawa. And uh, believe it or not, in these COVID times, I have my second dang cold in about three months, right? I see your face. Um, how does one catch a cold in this climate? So um, <clears throat> if I happen to lose my voice, uh, you know, that will uh, that's why. Not because we've been talking for so long ahead of time. Um, you had asked me how I got my start. Yeah. And uh, I have been in the digital marketing industry for about 17 years, I think, at least. It might be closer to 20. Um, yeah, I kind of hate to do the math because I'm sort of needing to, to hide those numbers these days. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I was a computer trainer. I taught Microsoft Word, Microsoft Office, uh, HTML, that sort of idea. And I was part of a networking group called Digital Eve. Um, it was later rebranded, I think, or previously it was called Web Girls. Um, funny thing, we're all human, we make mistakes. Somebody forgot to renew the domain name and that organization's domain was turned into like a porn site. Mm. Um, so they had to rebrand and this was a worldwide organization. Oh so yeah, yeah. So we all make mistakes, right? And uh, yeah, it wasn't me, but I'm, you know, just trying to laugh about it. Um, so they had monthly uh, meetings, workshops at the Ottawa Library downtown. And I attended one on SEO and UX. SEO standing for search engine optimization and UX standing for user experience. Um, so how does a user experience your website when they are on it? And I was going for the UX. I thought that was totally my interest. This was the first time I had heard of SEO. And when I got to the library, and I still know who did the workshop, um, that person still practices SEO. There was two different speakers, one for SEO and, and one for UX. And I became smitten with the SEO part. And I went home at 10 o'clock that night and I looked up a couple more things and I was like, oh, he told us nothing. And every minute that I wasn't teaching, I was learning more about SEO from that point forward. I mean, who, I, how do these things happen? How do we, how does our interest get grabbed like that? It's a good question. It, you know, what I'm sort of curious about with SEO, because you know that I've heard about this for forever, but as I was telling you, people, ladies like me, or people like me who are all call the right brainers, you know, the people who kind of are into emotions and touchy feely kind of stuff. We don't, you know, I kept hearing SEO, 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 um, like forever, but can you just give me why this has been important for so long? Like, what is it about it? That, I mean, this is probably the stupidest question you've ever had, but why is this so important? Can you use Google? Yeah. I sure or remember. any other search engine for that yeah. matter. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, do you become aware of new businesses when, sometimes when you search for something in Google? Yeah. Do you sometimes end up doing business with a site that Google presents to you in response to your query? Yep. So SEO is the need to be visible in Google um, and understanding the different topics uh, I'm not just going to say keywords, but the different topics for which you should be visible. Um, if you were um, an online retailer like Walmart, you would need to be visible for all the different categories 
and products that you offer in your store. And if you sell, in my case, I sell multiple services and sometimes there's not overlap between people buying the services. So I theoretically need to be visible in Google for all of the different services that I offer. And how often do you actually pay attention to, to fit, to doing things? Like how often do you actually, was it, how do you like fiddle around with your SEO or how do you like, well, yeah, it, it's really hard these days. When I first got into SEO, when I first launched my website, I was number one in Ottawa for search engine optimization Ottawa. And I learned at that time that it's being number one for a particular phrase is not all it's cracked up to be. Because at that time, people would call me rather than email me. And uh, they would just waste my time. There were a lot of tire kickers. Um, most of my work was referral and it still is. Mm. And those clients coming in are way more qualified. Um, they're way more likely to do business with me than somebody who randomly finds me on the internet and calls me because they're probably calling 10 other companies. And quite often they want the least expensive company. Um, or maybe they have another criteria that they're looking for. Um, and, you know, when somebody calls you randomly like that, uh, you know, the odds of closing that are um, are not great. And I also feel better about working with somebody who was referred to me because they just inherently come in with more trust. And I also trust that they will pay and, and I get an idea of what they might be like to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's true across the board. I think what you're saying yes. is very true about referrals. Mm -hmm. And I think it's mm -hmm. probably just that element of trust also that they have walking in. Absolutely. So you asked, I think, how much time one spends, I spend trying to do this. I am going to be the first to admit that my website is not highly visible for the specific services that I offer. I'm working on it, but I also have a full client caseload right now. Um, and, you know, what is it going to bring me? Um, I'm probably better off just to network and stay in touch with my existing contacts. Um, you know, just when you think you're going to work on your own stuff, a client wants you to do more work for them or a client announces that they want to redo their website or something and, you know, existing workload kind of doubles. And so the shoemaker's children never have um, shoes, basically. Um, so I'm working on my site on a regular basis and I do get some um, leads off the internet, but I certainly couldn't live on SEO. And I'm always quick to point this out to uh, customers that come to me. Paying anybody, whether it's me or somebody else for SEO, you are not going to pay your bills in the next three months relying on SEO. It just, you can't just do one thing in this digital world anymore. You need to be doing some networking. Um, so you need to get out there on Facebook and join some Facebook groups. You and I are in a lot of entrepreneurial groups, um, business for women, that sort of idea. Um, get in those groups, introduce yourself, be helpful. Uh, and every time I tell this to people, they get a, a lead or a sale immediately, just one, but this was free work and it didn't take very long. So, but if you do this with SEO, people start talking about your brand, especially if you're in a competitive industry, um, certain types of lawyers or um, you're like in the HVAC, which is, I don't know what it stands for, but it's basically air conditioning and, uh, furnaces, you know, whatever, whatever the HVAC might stand for, um, that industry, uh, people are a dime a dozen prices are probably pretty similar, um, or plumbers. You have to have a way to stand out. Maybe you need to be um, involved in your neighborhood, in Little League, you know, sponsor a sports team. We can't just put all of our eggs in the SEO basket or any other basket and expect to pay all of our bills and pay for our money mindset dreams, uh, all in that sort of one channel of getting business. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I have I'm fairly new to the digital world. I mean, I've been online longer than most people in terms of Zoom because I started working in 2016 on Zoom. But I have been uh, around doing uh, my work for 20 years and I find that I translate best in person. 
So the mm. most efficient way for me is in person. They might see me on Facebook. They might get a sense of me on Instagram with my videos. So you get a sense of my personality, but I definitely translate better in person. That's been my meaning, experience. Um, meaning that people are more likely to want to do business with you after yep. having been exposed to you in person. Yep. COVID must have been such a kick in the pants to that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, you didn't let it stop your your belief. You you pivoted. You started doing um, podcasts, which is funny because it doesn't show your face. No. And I it's think it's your it, voice. No, I know it's well. And the thing is, is that no, I'm I have a really good mindset about pivoting. I I mean, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back in this area. I've always had to pivot. I've always had to adjust. I mean, my parents divorced when I was young. Like I moved around a lot in my teenage years after my parents divorced. Like I had a lot of change during those kind of formative years. So I know how to pivot. I know how to change. I know how to go with the flow. And I think that I'm really good at, at asking people who have skills that I do not have like you to help me. I'm good at asking. I think this is important in business. Um, I'm good at hiring because I don't want to spend time doing my website. I'll be honest. Like, I don't want to, that, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I never have With you. like, no, thanks from the get-go 2002 myself and another practitioner, Maureen, we hired someone to replicate. He was nice enough to replicate the same uh, website for both of us. Same copy, same everything, just change up the pictures. And oh. we split the cost coming out of the gate. Yeah. Like there's, there's always ways to make things work. There are so many ways to make things um, work. Gosh, you've said so much that, uh, that triggers ideas in me. I think I'm the queen with my business. Um, so I'm redoing my website right now. Uh, should be live by middle to end of February. Um, I've had my own team work on it. Well, I did a lot of cleaning of my current website first. So from an SEO perspective, I've been wanting to get rid of pages that are not performing well. And that means either they're not driving traffic or they're not driving relevant traffic. And, um, you know, it's, it's taken me a number of years to realize which blog posts, which content in blog posts sort of performs best for me. So I've been doing a cull of that content and, of course, redirecting those broken pages. And my own team has uh, built the new website, but I'm not happy with the look just yet. And that's okay. Um, I have hired uh, a colleague that you probably know. Actually, she doesn't know that I've hired her yet. I haven't, I was supposed to approve the quote this morning. <laughs> um, she's going to fix the, fix up the design. I'm only willing to relaunch with a kick-ass upgraded design. And that's for me. And it ties back to the pictures, actually. Um, you and I were talking about before uh, before we started recording, you and I both recently got uh, professional pictures um, redone. And uh, what was your reason for wanting to do that? Because um, I want the last pictures I had, which I really loved, they were, I was in Toronto with a group and then did a couple individual shots and I needed to, I, I just think you need to update your photos. And it was at this time, it was at my house to get a sense of who I am. The other time it was at a warehouse. Like it just depends on where you are in terms of, of your marketing. Like, what are you trying to convey? Interesting. Um, so it had been a number of years since I had had mine done. And uh, I've had a lot of change in my appearance over the past two and a half years, I guess. I underwent chemo a little over two years ago. So I went from this big mane of curly hair to being bald. And that was before COVID. So nobody saw me in that um, in that state with just a cap. You know, we didn't do video calls at that time. We used Zoom, but we had the camera off. That was just oh. the, the nature of doing things. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then I got some photos done with my wig. They were not professional photos. Um, but I enjoyed those. Uh, but it, it just felt like time. That's, that's not who I am. And, and as my hair was growing out and the curls were coming back, I just felt the need to have pictures, even if it's just me looking at myself on Zoom every day. I just needed to have pictures that reflect who I am today and start putting that journey behind me. Oh, I love that. 
I want to I want to jump into this because this is a huge aspect of being um, of your life. I know about your life. We've had many conversations about it, but you know, and I know that you have worked for institutions. So you've had kind of a two two pronged. You've had working for institutions, and you've had working for yourself. But mm-hmm. from from my impression, and you know even monetarily, you seem to be very commonsensical, like from the beginning, like you seem to have, have been really smart about creating a, um, uh, a retirement fund for yourself and investing in real estate at a young age. Like, you know, I, I think that you are, have been very bright in this area. And I think it's, it's a great thing. Thank you. That is, so sweet of you to say to this moment, I do not believe that. So talk about limiting beliefs um, or, you know, money mindset. I still think I'm a screw up from like, you know, every couple of months, something, um, something flares up. And, um, and yet I was speaking to my financial advisor last week and like I can retire in 10 years if I want. And I'm just like, what? I I still don't believe it. And she's like, the money is in the bank. Like you can see it, you know, you, you can't have an extravagant life, but you can have your current life. I was like, well, my current life is pretty extravagant. So yeah. So Megan, you know, thank you for thinking that um, because, you know, I don't. Um, But what's interesting is I started off as a solopreneur, like so many people. And then for four years, I did a gig as an employee at um, a company called Mediative, which uh, there was a a first company that I was hired by or that I interviewed for um, in BC. And by the time I got hired, they were called Mediative. And um, and then later on, Mediative was a, a company just bought out by Yellow Pages. And then eventually I was working for Yellow Pages. And my role changed over those four years. Um, so I changed different departments. I became a manager, yada, yada, yada. Kept running my business on the side. And that was no secret. Um, so in the evening, I would work on a couple of clients. And then when I was laid off with Yellow Pages and I came back to running my business, I redid my website and I had enjoyed managing at that point. And I really did not want to put my head down and, you know, be writing page titles for people eight hours a day um, or, you know, doing other mundane work. So at that time, I started to hire contractors to help out with the work that I do. And my business model is such that I can pay my contractors 50% of what my overall revenue is. So sometimes I lose money on projects. Um, Sometimes I make money. Overall, it balances out well. I learn from these times and I move on. And I have built, I now have eight part-time contractors that work for me. They are all experts in different areas. And I don't know, it it kind of feels like family. Like I, it it feels really good and it's a really good flow of work. Wow. That's a huge, um, this is a huge impediment for many women, by the way, what you were just talking about. And that is um, feeling like they have the ability to bring people into their organization, either hiring them full-time or even just having a team. I think that one of the impediments that I see with women business owners is the uh, the idea that they can manage fear of management, fear of being the boss, that literally that word boss triggers the shit out of people. But I also think that that, that is quite um, a statement about you that you've been able to retain people for a long period of time. And 50% sounds pretty decent to me. So nobody's full time. Right. Um, and this is the difference between managing and part, almost partnering with somebody who's an expert in another area. I bring people on, they start off with the smallest of tasks um, and, I, and I pay them right away. Um, so, you know, run a report and decipher it for me. Okay, you mastered that. Um, you, you met your deadlines. So now I might advance that task. I literally start off really small. Um, and then eventually, you know, okay, go make this client, you know, 
visible in Google for this topic or write a document that tells me what we need to do. Okay, here you go, you execute on it. So these people are experts in their area. I think it's very different than managing where you're getting people just out of school who don't have the skills, that sort of idea. I don't find it difficult. Mind you, I have been through a ton more employees or contractors. Um, Some ghost me and I have just decided not to continue working with others. Sometimes it's their communication style. It just drives me crazy. They can never take my instructions and run with them. Um, And they don't, they just always have to have a meeting or, you know, there's always something that makes me not to work with somebody. And there's always somebody who doesn't want to work with me as well. Um, But I've just found a, a great stable of seven or eight people right now that do want to work with me. And I think this is, that's a really good advice to people. I really think that's excellent advice by starting out with small tasks and seeing how it goes and then moving up and deciding. And also just mentioning that people have different learning styles and to figure out what the learning style is for you that works well with you. I mean, even in terms of me learning tennis right now, I've been watching all this tennis on TV and I, I really figured out that I have to understand the big concept. Like, this is the reason why you're learning this instead of just teaching me how to do this in terms of my forehand and why do I have to stand? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me while I'm learning it, but if I I watch a game and understand how it plays out long-term in the game. So everybody has different learning styles. And um, I think it's really important to, to understand that about yourself. But I also think that you sound like you've developed a great mindset in terms of understanding that, that kind of in a logical way, like this is how I work with people. And this is just the way it is after years, 17, 18 years or more than that, really in the working world. It's not always a straight up um, trajectory, trajectory, I guess is the word. Um, No, in, in December, my bank account, you know, dwindled much lower than that I had seen. The volatility in a single month of a bank account is crazy, both up and down. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, There's definitely a lot more risk when you are including other people in projects. But again, start small. And I've rebounded from whatever December brought. I think it's because total mindset here. um, I decided not to continue working with a client. And uh, I had no qualms about it. And within that same week, you know, existing clients wanted more work and there were new clients on the doorstep. I firmly believe that when one door closes, whether you've been laid off, whether you let go of a client, whether a client lets go of you, there's always something better around the next corner. The struggle is we don't know when it's going to show up or what it's going to look like. But I think if you let go of that need for control and just believe, you have to believe after all these years, it happens over and over again. I have been on vacation for a month in Tulum, Mexico, when my largest client told me that they would not renew their contract at the end of the month, right? Crisis. Um, And and I cried and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And my partner is a savior. He's like, look, you're going to make it. It's okay. Enjoy your vacation. I was still working half days while I was there. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, how is it that every year my income still goes up even when things like this happen? It's because when one door closes, another door opens and that door is usually better. Oh, I love that. Thank you for saying that because I had a very similar conversation with my friend yesterday because we were talking about her going way back to March of 2020. And then she's, you know, fast forward two years later. And of course, you know, the shock of all the clients and everything closing down and people clutching their money and especially in the service industry. Right. And then, you know, fast forward to January and she was talking about how her, you know, cause she's, she's like, I haven't met my numbers at all, but she's chill. She's of the mindset that you're talking about understanding to just let it go. Um, I know that because I'm a belief person that sometimes having that belief is hard when you have been programmed in your earlier years by our parents' voices to worry as a proactive measure, which of course is not. But I want to go back to when you first went out. So you had your job, you were doing it part-time, you know, you made the leap at one point. Now I know this is a long time ago. So I want you to just go back to the beginning. What belief did you struggle with 
becoming a solar solopreneur? Excuse me, stumbled into it. Um, my my first instance of a solopreneur or as a solopreneur uh, was teaching computer applications. And you only got as many days of work as skills you had to teach. So Microsoft Word had three levels and then you know there's Excel and Access. And I slowly learned all those things. I, I didn't know them, but on my days off, um, I knew them. So how, I mean, I paid rent or had a mortgage. I'm, I can't recall where I was in there, maybe between the two. I, how did I not have any doubts? Maybe because the per diem for a day of teaching um, was very good to me compared to my retail job before that. Um, and then I just sort of morphed into, um, when I had been teaching myself SEO, uh, I knew that I needed to put it into practice in order to further my knowledge at one point. I think I had like a 226 page Word document I had created based on reading different newsletters and searching the internet and, and had a table of contents. And I was like, I need to put this into play. And, um, you know, somebody sent the first client to me and that client referred somebody else and somebody else. And so I didn't set out to run a business. It it just sort of happened. And then at one point I was making more money doing SEO than I was um, teaching computers. And so I bridged the two by getting the schools to bring on a course I created. Uh, so I could teach that through the computer schools because they had the audience. So I made more money by teaching my own course there. Um, and then, I don't know, the, you know, the industry faded for computer training. And, and I just slowly picked it up. I learned new skills. I took my first job as an employee in SEO in Montreal. There were no jobs in Ottawa. And um, so when I got there, I learned Google Ads on the job. I learned email marketing. I learned affiliate marketing, just teaching myself. And... Um, I don't know. I eventually left that job. I have um, so many entrepreneurial people that I know or people in my life period who are ADHD. Um, and I just had a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed at the beginning of January, um, an entrepreneur and engineer who is an, who is, has created a program specifically for ADH entrepreneurs. So I want to, did you always know you were ADHD or is this a, a recent uh, identification? So I, I don't have a conclusive test, um, but, you know, proving that I am. Um, but when I was doing my thesis in university, I was studying social sciences and I did my thesis was called the controversy behind ADHD. And I recognized myself in that subject, um, but I thought nothing of it. Ironically, I used some sources on the Internet. That was my first year on the Internet. Um, my thesis advisor said he could only be reached by email. And I was like, e who, what? Um, and so he got us on the internet and I just found, this was before Windows. And I just found groups where people were talking about ADHD in adults and how they do better on the internet um, than they did in books, that sort of idea. And I saw myself there, thought nothing of it, skip ahead. Oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago did we, uh, did we graduate uh, a lot? And uh, recently I've found some ADHD groups in Facebook and I was like, oh, I thought this was just a quirk that I had. I thought this was just me. And it turns out that these are classic ADHD symptoms sometimes. So yeah, it's been uh, really interesting. I've taken um, a couple of quizzes this week. And what it tells me is that I'm really concerned about specific areas like the ability to sit down and focus on very detailed work. That is a struggle for me, especially for my own business, finding the time to do that work. Um, I will do more client work than they are paying for. I'll do anything to avoid doing my own work, it seems. Um, and that's why I've chosen to hire some outside people to take on some of these tasks because I am not getting my own work done in a, a timely enough manner. And I think recognizing why it's happening. So I've struggled with this mindset for a while. 
And to learn that this is common among people with ADHD makes me feel much better. And you know what? Hiring somebody else is just like an ADHD tax and yeah, like, and I'm not, I, as far as my, the neuropsychologist that I, that I uh, had for my kid, she said, I am not. Cause I was, I come from a, like a long list of a long, my father, who was a sort of a serial entrepreneur, kind of a stereotype of, of someone who would be attracted to entrepreneurship. How did you use the strengths of ADHD in your business? Oh, I love new things, new stimulation. Um, so I love getting a new client, hearing about their industry, um, and then doing research, um, going to find similar competitors, that sort of idea. So I, I mean, I'm always learning about new ways that people make money. No two businesses are the same. And uh, my experience in working with different companies allows me to ask questions. And I don't know, I get projects started. I love doing strategy. It's bits and pieces of different things. So for social media, you could do this. For SEO, you could do that. And then that's where I bring in my contractors or work with a client's VA, virtual assistant, if they have one, to execute on my ideas. And I love that because I don't love detail. I love, and this is part of the ADHD or ADD, as they say now, um, I love strategizing new ideas. I love researching the, the data, the Google Analytics, the traffic to find out what the problem is and how we fix it. And then I'm quite happy for somebody else um, to take that and run with it and execute on it. So because I have your brain here today, and I'm going to ask this for all the kind of what I'll call the right brainers like myself. We spend a lot of time in the touchy feely helping fields, okay, or even service based people who are like me. If you were to advise us to invest somewhere, and I know that you and I have talked about SEO, but we also, I, I would love to also talk about Google ads. What would be your advice to someone like me, knowing what I do? Hmm. I don't think. There would be no harm in you doing a bit of SEO for your site um, and your podcast um, so that people can find it by your name, your brand, or if there's something else that people might commonly refer to you as like money mindset coach, that sort of idea. But by and far, I don't think people are looking for your services on Google. So SEO is only initially important to make sure you're found for a few things. And uh, your, your website has a, a good flow once people find it there. Um, so SEO to me still lends itself into user experience. You know, is your website really slow? Is it easy to find how to work with you? Are there broken links? This to me is all kind of the SEO package. But Really, you need to make people aware of what you do um, through social media. And it doesn't have to be paid, although the organic reach these days is low. Um, I, I mean, I don't really recall you doing a lot of advertising online, and I'm very clear on what you do. And that's just through discussions in, in different groups. It works out well for you because your target audience is entrepreneurs such as myself, and those are the kind of groups that you are in. So that just naturally, I think social comes easy for you. But if you were to spend money, I would say that you could spend more money in social media. Google ads is not a fit because people are not searching for you in Google. Um, not, they might be searching for you by name. They're not searching for your service typically in Google. Um, and so for every single person that would come to me, I will have a unique answer to what they should do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I haven't actually done Facebook ads or I don't know, Instagram or whatever is because I, I mean, I feel like there's so much there's so much feedback around this. There's so many people telling you it works or it doesn't work or they've done this or they've done that. And I think that's the reason why I haven't done it. I haven't invested money in it. It feels like it's I, a, a, like a gamble or something. I hear you uh, so loud and clear. Um, I, I, I have a bit of a strategy in mind for how I'm going to do some Facebook and uh, Instagram ads. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to do that with my current website or wait for the new website to be up because the new website should have solid structure about here's information about a service. Here's a freebie. Here's um, a case study. 
um, schedule call. Excuse me. So I feel this is my mindset. If you're going to be spending the money on advertising, then the ability to get those people to convert has to be the highest you can possibly put out there in order to maximize that money. I will be really bummed out if I spend money on social media ads for a month and don't recoup that money in business. And yet, I wouldn't expect a client to expect to get a return on investment from me within one month. It's my goal is what I work towards, but you, you have to launch with a hypothesis of what's going to work. You need to measure it. And if it's not working the way you planned, you need to tweak it and then run and remeasure. I mean, this is how digital marketing works, right? There's no guarantee in any kind of marketing that you're going to, um, what's the word, get it right, right out of the gate sort of idea. So I hear you. And I think businesses have to have an advertising budget and decide what that budget is and the best way to spend it. And unfortunately, people make mistakes. Um, They will hire somebody to do Google ads and that company may not tell them that Google ads is not the right fit. Um, or we might start Google ads. And then in one case, I started Google ads for a client and it didn't take long for me to get double the leads that the client had gotten on half the money the client had spent previously. Um, so a year in we kind of stagnated and that's not a bad thing. There was a return on investment. Um, we decided to take half of that budget, um, that the client had been spending previously and allocate it to doing Facebook ads. And so for same budget, we now squeaked in a few more leads by diversifying the channels that we were using. So I think every business has a unique set of ways that they work and and how they should advertise or not. Okay, That's, that's interesting. And I think one thing that you just said that I think everybody should be reminded of that I forget, but we've heard this is, your analytics, your numbers, looking at, at seeing what post has run wild. And this is kind of across the board. Like when you think about LinkedIn or you think about any of the social media, you know, what has really, when you go back and review that, and I think once again, kind of right brain people remember this, uh, remember this if you're listening to me, meaning that what I mean by that is that we can spend a lot of time in the right brain stuff and not the left brain, which is the, the analytical part of our minds, the ones that looks at numbers and can gauge things to figure out if we're on the right track. Is that subject that I'm speaking about something that people are always clicking on and sort of engaging with? And so I think that what we do is we forget about that aspect of business. So I'm glad that you reminded us. But I want to ask you about Google Ads specifically. Then who is like, who is your client who is diving into Google ads generally, like businesses that you see physical businesses or who is doing Google Mm. ads? That's a great question because people um, always tell business owners to figure out who their ideal client is, right? And mine varies. It can be a small business. It depends on their business acumen, their approach to running a business. Some people who open a business are willing to go into debt the first few years in order to get customers. They want to ramp up faster. Other people are not willing to go into debt and will take longer to ramp up their business. So if somebody is a new bricks and mortar business, um, it's funny to me, there, there is a gray area between doing Google ads and not doing Google ads. One area that might make sense for a lot of people to do Google ads is within Google Maps. So whether you use your phone or your laptop to search something in Google, um, if what comes up are is a maps section and maybe four businesses under that um, maps, there may be an ad in there. Putting an ad in that area allows your business to be visible in a greater geographic area than um, than you naturally would have been um, if you didn't pay for an ad. So, for example, if you um, are a new osteopath opening a bricks and mortar business or you know renting office space somewhere, um, people who see the only people who will see you in maps are the people who are in your immediate area 
But osteopaths are not a dime a dozen and people would be willing to travel across town if you were the right fit for them in some way. Um, so I think for a person like that, doing Google ads, uh, at least in Google Maps would be the way to go. Um, and that can be very affordable, especially if they're willing to figure it out themselves. If you're hiring me and I have to do that, there's still going to be a cost to that as if you were running um, ads in a much larger area. Um, but if you're willing to spend the time to figure it out yourself, you know, you, you start from Google My Business or Google Business Profile is called now. Um, start from there. They'll show you an ad um, to get started. You have to be careful because the system will suck your bank account dry if you let it. Um, so it's a catch-22. You either have to learn it yourself or you have to hire somebody to do it. But at the end of the day, what is the return on investment? If you are just an osteopath, can you make, um, if you spend $1,000 on Google advertising, can you make that back in a month? That's the question. That's probably 10 new clients. You need to know things like how often do people come back to you? You know, what is your return rate for clients? What's your lifetime value of a client? Nobody keeps track of these metrics. But by the same token, if you are um, a holistic, uh, I want to say agency that offers massage and physio and osteo and yoga, you're advertising a lot more things and your media buy doesn't have to increase necessarily, you have a much better chance of breaking even in the first month or two than a single practitioner does. So there is no one person. Um, I mean, I have done, some of my greatest clients to work with have been very small businesses. By the same token, I have worked with large businesses with large budgets, um, but their website looked like crap. They weren't willing to change anything. They weren't listening to recommendations. They did not get a return on investment and they feel that it is the company they hired, AKA me. Um, sure, you can think that, but you can hire another company. And unless you're willing to make the changes to your website or other things that I've mentioned, you're not going to see a return. I want to just, uh, I want to talk about that emotional aspect of what you just said. So you said that because you've been in business for years and I was just having a conversation with a, a newbie, a client who's coming out of the gate and this, she's changed directions. Now I was talking about client rejection. I was talking about exactly what you're talking about. And when you go back and you remember like when you first started and you had, you know, a client either not like your work or whatever, and you, you, how did you deal with that? What advice would you give for the newbies? Ask questions. Why is it that they are unhappy? This happens a lot. Um, what were their expectations versus what you claimed you um, would provide? Really work to meet in the middle with this client. If you are patient and understanding that the client could be freaking out because their bank account balance dropped, it may have nothing to do with you. They may have had preconceived notions that they didn't share and you didn't promise. Um, so work through it, trying to find room in the middle, figure out how you go forward. What's really important, I think, is if you did not take money up front, salvage that relationship, make sure you're going to get paid, um, maybe change the contract or slow things down, figure out how best to move forward, check in with the client more often to make sure they're happy. And look, if you really can't make them happy, it's not a fit. If they won't communicate what their needs are and they just get upset, they're not your client. Get your money and get out. Yeah. And I think people have, sometimes they have a vision in their head that doesn't necessarily match reality or they're not in my work that I do. Some people are just not ready to do that level of work. It's not a commentary on them. It's just a timing thing, right? Absolutely. Or in my case, I am not a great client. I change my mind all the time. I forget what I said last month that I wanted to do with you. Um, and if we didn't get started on it, then I've got new ideas going off in my head. I'm a brutal client. Um, but you have to learn to manage people like me or fire people like me. I may not be a fit for you. If you like more calm and I'm changing my mind all the time. Now, as a, as a business, 
I know how to work with somebody like that. Um, just daily updates or notes uh, in my uh, project management software. What is our large picture that we are working on? And so when a client says they want to do this, I'm like, okay, when I go back to the large picture, these things, these two things are really important that we need to work on. They are important to getting you visible in Google and getting some money coming in. Do you still want to work with this idea or do you want to put it on the list to entertain in a month or two? They usually, they, they're probably ADD as well, right? They just need to get it out. Um, so they got it out. I've accepted it. We've just put it a little bit priority, a little bit less priority. So not everybody wants to work with people like that or, or has the skills to know how to deal with that personality. Yeah. And that's okay. We, yeah. we as business owners, you must turn people down that you don't want to work with. Well, yeah, of course. And I had to learn the hard way, by the way. That's what I was telling my uh, client. I was saying, listen, I had to learn the hard way. I had to go through some some clients that weren't ideal because, mm -hmm. I, did, because I didn't listen to my, my experience and I didn't listen to the voice in my head and in my gut. And mm -hmm. so I've, I've, you know, I've had to kiss some, some frogs to get mm -hmm. to all the princes that I work with. And I don't, you know, and, and I've almost got like an energy now where I just don't even attract a certain, you know, I just attract kind of great people. But um, I'm probably also messaging that as well. Like I'm kind of, even when I was young though, Darlene, I remember going in for an interview in one of my first interviews at a hospital when I was like 20 or 21. And I can't believe the chutzpah that I had even back then where I was like, this is the type of work I want to do in the interview, like telling them exactly what I wanted. Like, I almost think that they must've looked at me and went, oh my goodness, this 21 year old. But it was really quite smart. And I, I did that as I went along with, when I worked for people, my bosses, I would say, well, this is what I'm, I like to do. And this is what I'm good to do. And if you leave me alone. So I got a lot of, um, a lot of leeway in my work because I did pre pre perform, but I wanted to do it in my way. And I think that's kind of a typical person who should probably work for themselves anyway, that type of personality. Yes. Right. Like, let's yes. Um, so two things uh, came to mind uh, that I would love to share with your, you know, your, your other entrepreneurs who are just starting out. I have a folder in my uh, bookmarks uh, in my browser. Um, and I think it's called how to weed people out. And I recently came across, oh, I think this person was um, on your podcast they do email marketing and when you try to do business with them. So I have actually reached out to a number of people that you have interviewed um, and I have a desire to do business with them. Yeah. Um, so this email marketing person, when you make contact with them, they, I, I, I can't remember what it looks like, but I'm just going to say that they have all kinds of text on their screen that pushes you away if you are not the right fit for them. Um, or it could be that once you make contact with them, they have an auto, um, an auto form that goes to you to fill out, you know, before you get an appointment kind of thing. And they're like, they're just trying to screen you out to, to maximize their time. Incredibly smart. And I hope to implement that in the future. So we don't get into, I love having conversations about what people should do about their business, but you know, at the busier you get, you don't have time for those conversations if they're not going to pan out. You need to have fewer conversations with people who are more qualified. And so this person that you hosted in the past um, who does email marketing does a fantastic job of that. Um, that is the, the first one and classic, you know, ADD, ADHD moment. I um, forgot the, uh, the second thing that came to mind, but oh, yes, yes. Um, I met with a new agency yesterday. I, I often do white label work for other agencies. What does and, that mean? What, what, what's white label? Um, what does that mean? It means that my brand is never known to the end um, consumer. And I'm so happy to do that. I don't need my brand known anywhere. I just want to do the work that I love. And, um, and I want people to love that the work that I do. Um, to think that I'm doing good work and I don't need my name doesn't need to be on it anywhere. As long as I get paid and I love the work that I do, I'm good. So when I do work for an agency, um, I will have an email address with that agency. Uh, quite often, I have no client contact. 
I'm just doing the, the work in the background or coaching the agency's existing employees um, on up-leveling their work a bit because I have a bit more experience sometimes and an agency might like to hire new people, uh, younger people, less experienced. Um, the agency that I was working with uh, yesterday was sharing a spreadsheet on the screen and they had color coded it. And I was like, Ugh, I can't do pivot tables with color codes. And I just said, you know, um, had you done this spreadsheet a bit differently, added more columns, we would be able to do pivot tables that we could just share with the client, uh, you know, copy into a Word document, that sort of idea. It's like, oh, I would love that, but I just don't know pivot tables. And I was like, he's like, if you want to do it, go for it. I'm like, oh, yes, no problem. Thank you. Do you know how many businesses would be put off by an employee suggesting a different way? I don't want to say a better way. It is better, in my opinion, um, a better way of doing things. Gosh, when I was, I forget, in my 20s, um, I, the business I was working for, which was not in marketing, did not like when employees would suggest better ways of doing things. Like instead of handwriting case notes in social services, we had computers. Why don't we use computers to type them? And they just saw that as such a threat to the way they did things. Okay, so this is the reason why I'm not working in the traditional world, like why I'm not exactly. in the like in the hospitals right now is because I I was I've always been really impatient with that type of because I think there's a certain type of personality that goes into solopreneur entrepreneurship. And often, I'm not saying this is 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 absolute, but a lot of times I have um seen that they just don't have patience for static systems and that there's always I this is like I actually have an exercise that I do with my clients and I break it down into kind of groups that I learned when I was training and the group that entrepreneurs fall in and anybody on my clients will know is force threes is that they are people who like to create new systems. They like to create new things. Ah, These are the, this is, yeah. Like think about all of the great companies. They've always created new things. When you think about Microsoft, when you think about Apple, they re they reinvent things, and that's constantly going on. But I want to end this um, by asking you because now you're an old, you're long in the tooth now, darling. You're like me, you're long in the tooth. So I am. <laughs> like if you're talking about retirement, then you know, yeah, you're getting long in the tooth. But understandably, and by the way, no entrepreneur I know ever ever um, retires. They just go on to something else. <laughs> My idea of retirement is just to work um, part-time without having to advertise to get clients. Isn't yeah. that the funniest interpretation of yeah. retirement you've ever heard? Yeah, and it will probably change. My 81-year-old father-in-law, Gerd, is, I couldn't talk to him yesterday because he is a consultant for his own company and he works from like Ontario to, he's in BC, so he covers the later part because he's later and he works like three hours a day and gets paid a salary and he's relevant and his knowledge is used and he's good, he's good to go. So Perfect. you never know, he just can't stop, by the way. Perfect. But Megan, there was one more thing I wanted to share with you or ask you about. Um, when you had... Um, an engineer on talking about uh, ADHD, did the topic of rejection sensitive dysphoria ever come up? No, but I want you to listen to it because it's excellent. It's Andre, his name is Andre Brisson. And he has, um, he talks about high performing. And I think I'm listening to some of the things you're saying, and you're reminding me of him in what you just said about reorganizing the table or the, the spreadsheet. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. That's something that would have come out of his mouth. Now, granted, he's also an engineer, but that would have come out of his mouth. And what he said to me, Darlene, which was very similar to you, was that that um, that's part of the reason why he actually had to go out on his own as well is because he understood that this is the way he operated. And instead of making himself wrong, he just created his own company. And he really did jump off the cliff. Like there's a picture that I always share about, you know, clients jumping off their cliff and building their wings on the way down. That truly is what he did. And he was very like, his mindset was pretty cool. So I'm listening to very similar things coming out of your mouth, but you guys are also old hands, long in the tooth, have been at this for a while. So what, as an, as, as an entrepreneur that's been around for a while, 
what would what advice or usually what I ask is what belief do you have now that you've either cultivated or just you discovered within yourself that keeps you uh, in good stead in your business? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, oh gosh, that's such a loaded question. Um, I do recognize that your emotions are going to go up and down. Um, I mean, almost 20 years in this, I still doubt myself at times. I I know that I'm, I don't want to say smart. I know that I'm smart in my industry um, and I can make really good recommendations if somebody is willing to follow through on them um, or hire me to follow through. Um, but, you know, clients come and go and uh, I would get very upset about it, but since I've learned this term, rejection sensitive dysphoria, and uh, apparently it goes hand in hand with ADD or ADHD quite often, just realize that this could apply to you. And when you're getting upset by something, it's okay. But what is your plan? What steps, what one foot in front of the other are you going to do to make up that revenue? Uh, and just make a list and then start doing the work. And before you even finish that list, chances are the next door will open. Oh my God, that is awesome. I love that. That is really? such good. Yeah, I do. I really love that. I think that is the best. I'm such a, I love proactive stuff. I love pivoting. That is a pivot. That is a going and going, you know what? I'm going to take charge. I'm going to be in command of the situation. And instead of letting this, um, letting this ruin my my week or my month or see it it's really a glass uh it's really a glass half full approach in my opinion i think you have to have that mindset as an entrepreneur or your business will not survive but you don't but who's who teaches that that's why we're doing this because who the hell teaches you this stuff and by the way i just want to tell you it's so ironic this if you were a man and you were like 20 years into this, you would have no imposter syndrome by this point, because this is what I find, okay? Even old, even old, very, in, very intelligent, experienced women, and you, like, we're talking um, Sheryl Sandberg, Michelle Obama, it's, you know, that there's still so much, and I, you know, there's so much imposter syndrome with so many, it's, it's really kind of laughable, because all these women are so competent, so experienced, so smart, been through the mill are often way more, um, way more competent. I'm going to be honest, way more competent um, than men. So I just want to leave you with that to understand that, you know, we need to, to I'm calling out on the imposter syndrome is what I'm doing. But also I just read an article that I sent to myself. I just want to let you know that there was a New York times article that I sent myself this morning and it's about a monkey and the monkey, I'm just going to read it to anybody. So I'm going to put this up, but it's, it's, I mean, this is obviously what I'm spent spending my time. It says, this is the lead for the New York Times. It says Yaki, a female Maki in a nature reserve in Japan, violently overthrew the alpha male of her troop to become its first female leader in the reserve's 70 year history. She presides over 677 monkeys, but is in a messy love tri triangle could endanger her status. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I definitely want to read that. Okay. Wow. So I, I, yep. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh gosh. Now it makes me want to go read up on the, um, the hierarchy of, you know, monkey culture, basically. <laughs> wow. I've just set you down at AD and ADD rabbit hole of now spending your afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can't happen today. I do have a concrete list of what I have to yeah. get to uh, today, but uh, yeah, Megan, this has been so interesting. And thank you for calling me out on my imposter syndrome because I'm still in denial that I have it. Oh, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's just, it's, the problem is it's just so common and it's epidemic amongst women that I feel like we need to talk about it. But I just want to ask you before I let you go, do you have, um, I'm going to, I obviously will have all of your information on the podcast information, but can you just share with us where they can find you? Sure. Uh, my website is drivetraffic.ca. Um, you know, I hang out on, uh, on Facebook, but I tend not to um, accept friend requests too often from uh, people in my business circles. Um, I think you're an exception. Somehow you and I became friends a while ago. I think I need to know people for a long time before I accept friendship requests. 
Um, I don't post that often on LinkedIn. I should, I know. Um, but you know, you're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. The name is Darlene Moore. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you Google Darlene Moore Ottawa, I, I think I pop up in, in Google. Hopefully all in good ways. <laughs> <laughs> no porn stuff like at the beginning. <laughs> <when> they... <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you so much for being with me and sharing. You There's so much in here that they're going to have to listen to this again and again. But thank you, Darlene Moore. I really appreciate it. It has been such an honor. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to another episode of Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. And before you go, I just want to tell you about a fantastic microcourse, a free one, that I offer to anyone who wants to go to meganoneal.ca because I'm in Canada, slash courses. It's called The Confidence Lab, Own Your Entrepreneurial Expertise. And I created this micro course because I know that there's so many busy women who are ambitious, who want to go to the top of their field. They understand underneath all of the mind trash that there is tremendous potential, but they get caught in their own way. They, they play it small instead of going big and bold. So in this course, I will teach you to understand where you are getting in your way and offer some tools and guidance so that you can be all that you want and reach those income goals. It's what we all want. So go to meganoneal.ca courses. Bye guys. See you next week.